On this bonus edition of Hoosology, Justin talks with Brian Toporek, co-host of the NBA podcast, to break down the halfway point of the NBA season. Brian gives his insight regarding the new format of the All-Star Game, the MVP race, and which teams are poised to make a big push in the playoffs. And now, Brian Toporek. He is the host of the NBA podcast. He is also the quality editor for Bleacher Report, and he's a senior contributor for Forbes Sports. We now welcome Brian Toporek onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Brian? It's going well. Thanks for having me. No problem. So, Brian, um, a lot to discuss with you. We're at the half point of the season. Um, and I guess I want to ask you just a general question. Um, normally, this, this is going to be a, a kind of a basic thing to ask, but under the circumstances, I find it appropriate. Um, <laughs> what do you just think of the, this, this, the season so far, just considering, you know, limited to no fans, limited access to players, um, just games being canceled because of COVID? What's been your impressions of the season so far in the NBA? Yeah, it's uh, hopefully we'll never have to repeat a season like this again. That would be my first take. <laughs> um, you know, I think the NFL and MLB made it pretty clear last year that sports were going to come back one way or the other. I think the NBA, with their protocols, is doing the best they can. Nothing's perfect. We've seen some pretty substantive outbreaks with a couple teams. Um and, you know, that's just the cost of business. And both the players and the league signed off on that coming into the season. They knew it was not going to be like the bubble where, you know, after that intro period, no one tested positive and they, they didn't have to really worry about that. They're in the real world now. They're playing in their own arenas. You know, they have freedom, at least at home, to move around when they aren't playing. So, I, you know, I think the NBA has done the best it can. I think some of the early uh, contact tracing issues were kind of a learning experience. So I think things have gotten better over time. Uh, we've seen, you know, with the road games in particular, players are a lot more restricted now than they were at the beginning of the season in terms of like they just can't leave their hotels at all, basically. Um, so, you know, I think the NBA is just trying to do right by its players, but also prioritizing we've got to get 70 games in for every team. We, we've lost a ton of money this year in terms of not being able to have, you know, a lot of teams are starting to have fans back, but it's still limited capacity. So they've lost a lot of revenue. They're just trying to generate as much money as they can. So it's, it's a tricky balance. And I don't envy Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts, the head of the players union for trying to figure out, how to you know maximize revenue, but also keep players safe. Um, what things do you think the NBA can implement from this tricky time once the pandemic is over? So, do you basically what I'm asking is, do you think any positives came from this that can be applied for future NBA seasons, or do you think it's pretty much been uh, negative? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great question. Um, selfishly. Just from my own perspective, I hope the Zoom press conferences are here to stay. I know a lot of the local beat writers probably do not feel that way because you get a lot of access from the locker room, uh, you know, being able to go up to players and be able to talk to anyone, just not, you know, the two or three guys that they select for these post-game pressers. But, you know, I live in a market where there isn't an NBA team. So it's actually given me an opportunity. I'm a Philly guy, so I cover the Sixers mostly. Uh, but I live in Baltimore, so it's given me a chance to sit in on Doc Rivers' press conferences, even though I'm 100 miles away from Philly. So I hope those stick. Uh, I'm not sure if they will or not. I don't think the league is 
thinking that far ahead. Uh, but then looking ahead to All-Star Game, you know, I they're putting everything together on one night instead of having Rising Stars Challenge on Friday, Slam Dunk 3-point on Saturday, All-Star Game Sunday. I'm curious to see how it does ratings-wise because I could see maybe just, you know, doing this moving forward and having this be the standard thing. All-Star Weekend is usually jam-packed for these guys, and they often say, you know, it's not really a break for them like it is for all the other players. I don't know that that would make it different, even if it's, you know, everything's in one night, because they still go to the city, they have, you know, sponsor events, parties, whatever the case may be, but at least, you know, all of their commitments uh, from an encore perspective would be limited to one night. So that's another thing uh, they could consider. Uh, we'll see how the ratings do. I also like the the home, like the two games, home set and road set. Um, I'm sure the players probably don't like it as much now that they're stuck in their hotel room for three days, but assuming we don't have that next year, you know, still just cutting down on travel, I think could be a valuable experience throughout the regular season. If you're playing, you know, the same team four times in the season, does it make sense to have to travel to their market twice in a given year? Or does it make sense to just pack both of those visits in? The counterpoint would be if, you know, it's a important for seeding and your star player is out for those two games. Is that fair? So again, this, you know, a lot of things the NBA has to balance in terms of variables, but I think there could be some silver linings from this season. Yeah. Um, To your point with the zoom um, press conferences, I've interviewed a couple of journalists. They, they think the exact same way Um, they're actually for that. Um, And you brought up this all-star weekend. That's something I wanted to talk to you about Um, this, I guess, single day of all the events. Um, and I guess looking at all the participants through slam dunk, the three point, the skills challenge, um, I would say, especially the slam dunk contest, pretty disappointed with the field overall. Um, was this maybe a time to even experiment with just the format of the dunk contest? I, you know, I've seen different suggestions of in- including. I guess famous dunkers that are not in the NBA to compete with NBA dunkers or do something funky and different with the dunk contest we haven't seen before. Was this a missed opportunity to maybe do something extra or do you think it should just remain how it is no matter what? No, I, I think the NBA is made clear with all-star weekend. They're willing to experiment. We saw it with the main game last year with the sure. Elam ending and the target scores and the quarters or like the uh, every quarter score goes to a charity. So, you know, I don't think the NBA is so stuck in its ways. It's like, no, this format is perfect. We can't improve on it. It, It's a fair question about the dunk contest in particular, because I feel like we ask ourselves this question pretty much every year. I mean, there have been a couple (laughs) exceptions in recent years that, you know, like Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine, that was a great year. Um, But it's always like, why aren't we getting the star players to participate? Like, Why can't we get a Zion Williamson or LeBron James to participate in this event. And if we can't, you know, cool. It's, it's a nice way for Cassius Stanley to make a name for himself, you know, for fans who haven't heard of him yet. That's great. Anthony Simon should be fun as well. But yeah, I mean, I think the NBA should be open. If, if this trend continues beyond this year, I mean, I'm not going to begrudge anyone for, you know, who wasn't already going to the game. I'm not going to begrudge them for not wanting to travel to All-Star Weekend, where, again, you're like, you get there, I think it's Saturday at 7 p.m., you're locked in the hotel. They're basically creating a one-day bubble. So that doesn't sound fun. But if we go to next year and we're still finding, like, 
none of these big name guys want to participate, I think the NBA absolutely should be willing to experiment with the format. And this year, um, we continue to see, you know, Team LeBron versus uh, Team Durant. It's the players uh, picking the players um, on their teams. What do you think about that, them doing a special on TNT? Um, are you a fan of that format, or do you think maybe they should go back to East versus West? I like the format, honestly. I think, uh, you know, getting to see teammates play against each other is cool. Um I think, you know, the drama from this year where the two jazz players got picked last yeah. is just <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a cool way for these guys to get to play with people that they might otherwise not get to play with. And I think, you know, you look at the rosters for both of these teams and it's like it, as the LeBron and KD draft was going on at first, I'm thinking like LeBron is just crushing KD here. You know, KD had to pick Kyrie, of course. So. LeBron gets Giannis and Steph, and it's like, okay, good luck beating that trio. But then as you go down the list, KD's just got a ton of ridiculous high-level scorers. So we'll see what happens in this game, but I'm excited. I think this should be a genuinely good All-Star game. I hope so. It just seems the enthusiasm has been kind of off. So I guess my concern is this the players not taking it super serious. I mean, there's always been a debate the players taking the game serious anyways and without a pandemic. And now is a situation in which even LeBron and some other players expressed, you know, their um, hesitancy to participate. So I just hopefully they change their minds and they just get motivated the day of the games. But I'm just worried that this is going to be a colossal blowout by halftime. And when the third quarter rolls around, it just it's not going to be watchable television. I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm incorrect. But um, I just I hope that they um, kind of come to their senses and um, get motivated during the game. Um, I want to talk to you about the Sixers. Um, They are a fascinating team, and I've asked a lot of our guests this, particularly about Ben Simmons. And I want you to walk me through what you think of him as a superstar player in this league and a player that can help a team win the title. So I guess in a sense be either the first or second option on that team instead of like a third option or a role player. What are your impressions of Ben Simmons overall? Because I've heard things from he's the next LeBron James to he's way overrated. And mm-hmm. I just want to get you, you cover this team, you know, day to day, you know it inside and out. So what do you think of Ben Simmons? And is this a transformative season for the Sixers to become a perennial Eastern Conference power? I, I realize this in the past season, the Sixers have always you know, been at the top of the standings with ever since they've drafted Embiid, but in I feel like this season's different. I feel like they, they look like a contender to win the titles. So I guess what are your impressions of Ben Simmons specifically to, I guess, their chances of winning the championship and in future years as well? Yeah, so I I fall in the middle of that, of the two okay. camps that you mentioned. But gotcha. I, I don't think he's the next LeBron James. He's just not that type of a scorer. I okay. don't think, you know, the jump shot might develop over time. It looks good in practice and warm-ups, but... LeBron was a much more high-level scorer when he came into the league. So I think that, you know, you got to think of him more as like a Magic Johnson than a LeBron James if we're going for ceiling comparisons here. Um, Doc Rivers just raves about this guy. Like, he absolutely loves Ben Simmons, and I think he is very relieved that Daryl Morey did not trade him when the James Harden stuff came up earlier this season. Uh, You know, I I asked Doc on Wednesday – because uh, I was just writing a piece about, you know, Ben Simmons defensive player of the year case. And I was asking, they were, you know, they were playing the jazz. So I'm saying, you know, you're going against Rudy Gobert. He's the odds have him as the favorite right now. 
where do you see Ben stacking up in that race and Joel as well? And he, he made it sound, he's like, look, Joel's having a great defensive season, but it should be Ben Simmons and Rudy Gobert, top two defensive player of the year. And I don't have Ben Simmons second. He, he thinks that highly of Ben. He, and he just keeps hammering home the versatility of Ben, where you can put him on, he's one of the rare players in the league who can legit guard one through five. Now, some smaller speedy guards still give him trouble. Uh, I'm not going to say he is an elite on-ball stopper for someone like a De'Aaron Fox. Devin Booker lit him up earlier this year. But then you go look at the game they played a couple weeks ago against Dallas, and he just harassed Luka Doncic like I don't think I've ever seen someone do before. Um, So I think, you know, for Ben, he's never just going to be that 25-point-per-game conventional superstar. Like, Zach Levine, I feel like, fits more of the mold of, like, this guy can just be, you know, 30 points a game. Great. Ben is – his impact is going to be more subtle. He is more in the Draymond Green role of like, if you really pay attention to this guy, there's a lot to like about him. But because he refuses to take a jump shot or, you know, just isn't willing to take very many of them, those flaws do become pronounced. And I'm curious to see what happens in the playoffs this year because offensively, Ben has taken some steps forward, even from the start of the year to now. Um, He's been working with Sam Cassell a lot, one of these assistant coaches for the Sixers, and he's been saying Sam is really riding him in terms of cutting down on turnovers, but then also just being aggressive, uh, especially in half-court settings. We haven't really seen a ton of Ben creating shots for himself in half-court settings. I've noticed they're setting screens higher to get him downhill more easily, and recently he's been much more effective in the post. He has this little hook shot that he's going to on either hand where he can post a guy up and then get close to the basket, and it's becoming a higher percentage shot. So is he going to create spacing for Joel Embiid? No, not anytime soon. But if he figures out ways to continue being effective, you know, transition, of course, he's lightning quick and, you know, it's hard to stop a 6'10 freight train as LeBron James has proven over the years. Sure. But in the half court setting, that's always been the concern. What, how do teams guard him, especially in the playoffs? This year in particular, it really feels like he's starting to figure some things out on that end. So combine that with the defense. And yeah, I mean, I think the Sixers are really making strides in terms of figuring out how to make Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons work long term. So in saying that, when we hit playoff time, Brooklyn's been determined the favorites to win it all. How do you see that matchup going if they are deciding, okay, who is the representative out at the East? It's because, you know, Brooklyn has their own flaws too, in particular with (laughs) inside the paint. So I guess with both teams having really some flaws, who who do you see coming out as the victor if they do, in fact, end up meeting in the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think uh, the trade deadline will be very instructive in that regard. You know, the Sixers have been mentioned and Kyle Lowry rumors, uh, but then some also smaller, like P.J. Tucker. There was just something out today about they might want Larry Nance. I think George Hill would make a lot of sense for them. And, you know, the Nets, it sounds like they're in the front seat for getting Blake Griffin, who the Pistons just bought out. So I don't think either team is a finished product right now. But if we're talking just rosters today, who would win? I would take Brooklyn. I think we are underrating. We are collectively focus too much on their defensive flaws, which they've actually improved upon since, you know, since Harden came, uh, they've gotten better on that on the floor in the last couple of weeks. 
But just having those three high-level isolation scores late in games, I think it's going to be really, really hard to shut all three of them down. And to, you know, if James Harden's having an off night, okay, you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and vice versa. So, you know, the Sixers will have Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, I guess Matisse Thibel can come out, and or Danny Green, but like I don't think they match up especially well in terms of can we shut all three of these guys down? Kyrie is probably the most concerning from that perspective, just because again, they don't really have that on ball stopper, like point of attack on ball stopper. I think Kyrie could really light him up. So and B, you know, you said it, they the Nets do have some concerns defensively in the paint, but like Embiid will need to score at least 40 for them to have a realistic chance. What has surprised you um, this season so far? Um, because I'm looking at the East and I can't really get a good beat on what's going on. Yeah. So full disclosure, I'm a Bulls fan. Okay. And it's just like one time, you know, one week I see the Bulls are like the fifth seed and then now they're the ninth seed. And it's yeah. just, <laughs> and I know like they're a pretty mediocre team. I don't, I, I mean, I have no, um, hopes of them doing anything if they have somehow get into the playoffs but it's just weird just to see a team like the celtics where i actually i thought they're gonna be a national contender this season they have the fourth seed now and you know the next artists at their tails um yeah. and then we have we see the heat with um jimmy butler back and they're surging so what do you make of kind of i guess anything that surprised you or teams that or I guess in the playoff mix now, do you see them staying there? Or do you think uh, the focus should primarily be on just like the one to maybe three seeds and the play-in games would just be kind of for fun, but it shouldn't be taken seriously in terms of them making any noise um, long-term in the playoffs. Yeah. uh, So I think the biggest surprise probably has to be the Knicks being as competitive as they are. I just don't think anyone realistically thought of them as a potential playoff team or being, you know, at the half season mark, being the number five seed that did not see that in the cards for them. And it's a testament to Tibbs, obviously. Julius Randle's had a great all-star season. Uh, RJ Barrett's taken some big steps forward in year two as well. So I'd say that's probably the surprise of the season so far. Um, Boston, I think it's getting a little overblown. The concerns, like I, you know, I saw some tweets when they were in that losing streak where it's like, has their window already closed? And it's like, no, Jason Tatum's 23, Jalen right. Brown's 24, Marcus Smart has been out the last couple of weeks and he's so important to this team. Kemba's coming back from the knee injury and just hasn't really looked like himself. So, you know, looking forward, if Kemba Walker, if this diminished version of him, is here to stay, then yes, that is concerning and it will limit their championship upside. But I think, you know, they've got that giant trade exception. We'll see what they do in the next couple of weeks. I'm not ruling out Boston as a possible representative of the Eastern Conference and of the, the finals or just the Eastern Conference finals. Um, Miami just got wrecked by COVID earlier this year. But as you said, they've really, really come on strong late. So I actually don't think in the East, the really either conference uh i don't think the play-in tournament is just a you know don't really pay attention to it because i was thinking like one of these seven teams will be in the play-in tournament of the sixers the nets the bucks the celtics the heat the raptors the pacers and you know the pacers might not sound scary but if karis Levert, it sounds like he's going to come back at some point in the second half if tj ward is back as well I wouldn't want to draw that Pacers team in a two seven first round series. That no you know, that's Agreed. just 
it's just a lot of talent on that roster. So, yeah, I mean, do I think any of the teams in the play-in mix will represent their team in the or their conference in the finals? Probably not. I mean, I think there are some clear favorites in both conferences at this point, but could they pull a first-round upset? Absolutely. And with the West, I think that one of the biggest shock is the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Um, what do you make of them? I mean, they're the second seed now. I mean, they, they got the better record than the Lakers and with Anthony Davis um, being out with injury. Um, that, I guess, lead over the second to third seed could widen just depending on how things turn out. Are, how do you see the Suns, I guess, progressing through the playoffs? Is this one of those things where it's just going to be you know, a lovely story for this season? Or do you think it's a preview for years to come where they are a perennial top team in the West? No, I think, well, I mean, if Chris Paul continues aging gracefully, I think <laughs> this is a, a thing that could have to stay for the next couple of years at least. But I, I was a big buyer in the Suns, even dating back to the offseason. Monty Williams was my preseason pick for coach of the year because I actually thought, did I think they'd be the number two seed a halfway? No, I thought, you know, four or five seed most likely. But adding Chris Paul to that team after what they did in the bubble last year, you could see the momentum was starting to build for them already. Uh, Mikhail Bridges has taken a huge leap forward this year. Getting Dario Saric back, he missed some time early in the year. He's just been a perfect backup five for them. Even they're, you know, getting guys like Cam um, Campaign and uh, Langston Galloway, like some of the Jay Crowder as well. Some of these guys who aren't like super sexy additions, but they just rounded out the depth really well. The, the pieces on this team just fit together so well. And, you know, early in the season, it was the bench really carrying them as Booker and CP3 and Aiton were trying to feel each other out. It seems like CP3 and Booker in particular have really figured out each other's rhythm and you know now Booker is back to just being the Devin Booker of old that we didn't see as much in the early weeks so yeah I think this Suns team is legit I think they could easily win a first round series you know would I pick them over Utah Clippers Lakers in the second round I, I don't know we'll you know we'll see who's healthy at the end of the year but I, I don't think this is just like a regular season mirage I think they are a genuinely very good team and last question for you, uh, just kind of typical um, around this time is the, the MVP. Um, mm -hmm. Which players have stood out to you? I mean, the you know usual suspects is you know LeBron, um, and I would say you know Durant was looking that way just before he, he got sidelined there. But um, is there anybody else that's really surprising you? I know you know Joel Embiid is, is high in the discussion. Um, is anybody else that might be a dark horse that people aren't really discussing that could be you know in the mix by the time voting comes around, or do you think it's going to come down to Embiid and LeBron? I, so we actually just recorded an episode of our podcast earlier today with our midseason award picks. So full disclosure, if the season ended today, I wouldn't pick Embiid. But I said on the episode as well, if I was placing a bet on someone, it would be Nikola Jokic right now. Oh, wow. Because, okay. because he is third in terms of, you know, most sports books have LeBron and Embiid either tied or Embiid slightly ahead. And Jokic is at like plus 400, plus 450, something like that. Jokic, in terms of just what he's doing statistically, has a definitely a better case than LeBron. He's neck and neck with Embiid. I think you know Embiid's case is they're the number one seed in the East. Jokic is six. Or the Nuggets are six in the West. I think the Nuggets are going to move up. I don't know how high, but you know they they've really seemed to 
get their get their season back on track. I'll, I'll say um, after some early bumps in the road, I believe their second half of the season schedule is not overly daunting. So if they can move up to the two, three, four seed range, I think you know you take that away from MB, especially if the Sixers fall back and the the Nets and the Bucks jump them in the standings. I also think Giannis is another guy who he's not going to win it. I don't think because of he won the last two years and sure. voters are going to hold the Bucks playoff failings against him, even though that's not really fair, but that's, you know, I could, I could already just get that sense from a, a lot of the national voters. It's like, you just have to prove yourself in the playoffs before we're going to give you three straight MVP awards. But if you look at what he's doing statistically, he's right in line with what he's done the past two years as well. So it removed narrative from the equation and Giannis would be right in that mix as well. But yeah, if I had to pick right now, I Embiid or Jokic wanted to, I, I don't think LeBron should be above Jokic in this discussion. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that the Nuggets are just a hard team to get a beat on. I, I personally thought Jamal Murray is going to make such a, a bigger jump. I mean, I was fully on the bandwagon when he was in the bubble. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I totally bought it. And we just haven't seen that materialize all the way yet. But you're right about Jokic. Like, I think the Joker's been amazing. But I think the record's going to really be a huge determining factor if he's going to be in that top discussion or not. But um, I've always liked his game. And I'm wondering, too, just coming to my mind about Luka. And I know with the Dallas Mavericks, you mentioned the trade deadline. Um it seems like they're poised to make a move with Porzingis because I just think at this point, look at, it's very clear. He's a transformative player in this league. And I just feel like with the Mavericks at this point, they just have to do something, whether it's at the trade deadline or in the off season. What do you think? What are their chances? They're the eighth seed. Now they're two games about above 500. Um, Luke is kind of in that MVP discussion in terms of kind of not as a serious contender, but certainly his name has been brought up in some media outlets. What do you make of the Mavericks in terms of their trade deadline, I guess, chances or um, what they're going to do? Yeah, it's a good question because uh, Luca, my pod co-host, and I both had Luca as our preseason MVP, and that has not aged as well as we would have liked. I mean, as you said, individually he is playing at an MVP level. It's just the rest of the team has not followed exactly. suit. Uh, I mean, they're another team that COVID hit them hard, so that's part of it. Porzingis missed a lot of time early in the season with the knee injury. This is now coming back slowly. He seems to be rounding back into form, and I know – Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report was the one who first broke this rumor that, um, you know, the Mavs are shopping Porzingis. Mark Cuban denied it, but then Mark Spears of the Undefeated confirmed it. So I think it's legit. I think they're at least listening to calls on him. I think it would be a sell low moment, and I don't think they're willing to do that. Like if a team came and offered, you know, three picks and two pick swaps and a good young player for Kristaps Porzingis, the Mavericks will run to the phone to call Adam Silver to confirm that trade. But I don't think they're going to get that type of value for him. Like the, I don't think they'll get the value that is commensurate with his upside. So they're, I, I would be surprised if they move him by the trade deadline. I could be totally off base here, but I think, you know, based on, some of the local reporters out of Dallas, it seems like they expected him to start slow and they're kind of ramping him up gradually. So he's really ready to hit his stride April, May, once the playoffs roll around. Um, but yeah, they're, they're an interesting team to watch at the deadline because you got Tim Hardaway Jr. 
who is playing well for them off the bench, but I believe he's an expiring contract. So they could get frisky there if, if a bigger salary is on the move and, you know, Jalen Brunson has been playing really well. So I actually like some of the, the, the complimentary guys that they have. I, I, they'll be an interesting team to watch for sure. You know, they'll be busy. Well, Brian, uh, thanks for uh, joining me um, on the eve of the All-Star game. Um, just a weird time, except um, <laughs> we normally were focusing on the All-Star weekend. But um, it was awesome just uh, picking your brain about, like, we're at the half point of this season. Um, please plug where our listeners and viewers can find you on social media and um, your podcast and anything else that you're working on this year. Sure. Uh, well, th- first of all, thanks for having me. Happy to come on anytime. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K. Uh, you can find my podcast, the NBA podcast, wherever podcasts are found. Um, I just wrote a thing about Ben Simmons' DPOY case at Fansided, so check that out. And I, I cover the Sixers and salary cap stuff at Forbes. So <laughs> really bad timing on my part that I'm having a baby in about two weeks. So right oh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, terrible timing for the trade deadline, but I'll have some pre-deadline coverage. I can't promise a ton of post-deadline coverage. Definitely some pre-deadline coverage coming out this upcoming week. Gotcha. Uh, thanks, Brian, for joining the show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the show. As always, you can get in touch with the podcast through email with hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Also, we are on all social media platforms. Please leave us a review on iTunes and check out our YouTube channel.